Fire and Ice with volcanologist Rosalie Lopez, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome to the travel show that takes you to the final frontier. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society. She has discovered more volcanoes than any other human. Rosalie will tell us about her current research and much more. My weekly conversation with Bill Nye runs from climates on other worlds to the landing of Curiosity on Mars. And Bruce Betts will help me welcome another space celebrity who arrives with his own random space fact. First in today's lineup is the editor of the Planetary Society's blogs, Emily Lakdawalla. Emily, welcome back from vacation. Uh, People may have noticed that uh, there haven't been as many blog entries as usual because you've been enjoying yourself, a well-earned vacation. I guess that's going to change. Beginning, you told me, with a a story that may be up by the time people hear this about the discovery of yet another moon way out there at Pluto. Yeah, I have to say this is the biggest news that seems to have happened on the two weeks that I was away on vacation, although I actually heard about this quite a while ago at a New Horizons team meeting about the science of Pluto and other icy worlds out there in the distant solar system. So yes, Pluto has a fifth moon. It has one large moon, Charon, and then at least four smaller moons. They're named uh, Hydra and Nix, and then there's P4 and P5, which do not have names yet. You know, it's actually quite likely that there are more things lurking out there. Once you start discovering smaller and smaller things, probably Pluto actually has some kind of ring system, almost like Uranus, where they could be discontinuous rings or continuous rings, and there may be largish clumps or bodies out there that could be even more moons for Pluto. So it's really quite a large and dynamic system. What does this mean for the upcoming visit to that uh, former planet by New Horizons? Well, it means two things. First of all, the science team is going to have to look at their plans and see if there's any reasonable location to insert any observations of this newly discovered moon. Although, probably they they will not do very much in the way of detailed observations of this one. They're going to be focusing on the larger bodies in the system and will probably do a thorough characterization of one of the small moons, but... They're going to focus their efforts on the larger things, and and just getting one of the small moons will get them pretty good information on what all of them probably look like. But there's another implication that doesn't have to do with science, and that's about safety. New Horizons is, is planning to get through the Pluto system at a point opposite that of Charon, and with the discovery of more and more moons and possible ringlets even out there, they haven't discovered any ringlets, but they're looking for them, you have to be concerned about New Horizons going through a region that has fairly large particles in orbit around Pluto. And just one of those hitting the spacecraft could mean the end of the whole shebang. So they're going to have to look very closely and and reconsider whether they want to pass through the Pluto system at the point that they've chosen. A little more excitement for an already very exciting mission. Emily, thanks so much and welcome back once again. We'll talk to you next week. See you then, Matt. She is the Science and Technology Coordinator for the Planetary Society and a contributing editor to Sky and Telescope magazine. Up next is the CEO of the Planetary Society, Bill Nye. Bill, I thought maybe we could start this week with a little talk about climate change or really climatology. Yes, we went to the Comparative Climatology Conference in Boulder. We had uh, presentations from remarkable scientists who showed us that you don't want to be Venus (laughs) (laughs) and Mars is exceptionally dry and blasted with intense ultraviolet radiation that would kill living things as we know them. We here on Earth have it just right, right now, but our world is getting warmer and more acidic. It was a compelling comparison of climates. And people can check this out because we have the whole thing, two hours and 42 minutes. It's actually fascinating. 
in our YouTube channel and on the website at planetary.org. Then there are some uh, cosmonaut astronauts uh, who've just reached the International Space Station. Yes, the Soyuz is flying again, so that's great. Meanwhile, NASA is giving money to these commercial ventures to develop uh, commercial access to space, and that's going along very, very well. And uh, we're going to have some of those corporations at Planet Fest, Matt, uh, represent with their displays, like, for example, uh, X-Corps Lynx rocket plane will be there. For those of you who went to Comic-Con in San Diego, the, the Big Bang Theory, the show, gave away a ride on this future rocket plane. It's a crazy thing. And I want to know, why did why aren't they doing that at Planifest and making me eligible? <laughs> well, let's, uh, we'll give them a call. We could, what we can do, Matt, at the planetary site, we'll fire you. <laughs> You make the drawing, and then if you don't win, we'll rehire you. It's, uh, I'll give it some thought. If it means getting into space, it might just be worth it. Uh, speaking of Planet Fest, I, people probably know this is August 4 and 5 in Pasadena, but there are other options for people who aren't going to be able to join us in Pasadena. Uh, we're going to be webcasting. Uh, Casting um, the whole thing. Yeah, for two days. It's two days with a bunch of experts, people, uh, scientists and engineers who worked on the Curiosity mission. We'll have uh, speakers from other Mars interest organizations. We'll have uh, Jim Green from NASA will be the, the lead lecturer. Charles Alachi, the head of the Jet Propulsion Lab, will talk on Sunday. I will be there. Big fun. And if you can't be there in Pasadena, I encourage everybody to check out the webcast or look for what we call a landing party near you. And that would be also found on the Planetary website. Just to just to give it the shameless plug right here. Planifest.org. That's the place that'll have all the information about all of this stuff. And of course, we will have uh, there uh, in the Pasadena Center and in the webcast the very best all of the live webcasts from JPL as we uh, all uh, grit our teeth and uh, ball our fists and hope that Curiosity makes it safely down to that other world. Bill, I think we're out of time. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Matt. He is the CEO of the Planetary Society, the science guy himself, Bill Nye. Up next, Rosalie Lopez at SETICON. We're heading back to Northern California for a fascinating conversation with Rosalie Lopez. The Jet Propulsion Lab's Deputy Manager for Planetary Science was my guest for a live interview at the SETI Institute's recent SETICON. The audio quality of the recording is poor, but I think you'll still enjoy our June 23rd conversation. You can hear much more of it at planetary.org radio. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us here at the, uh, in the Fireside chat room at SETICON 2. My guest, uh, honored guest, as she has been several times in the past, is Rosalie Lopez, Dr. Rosalie Lopez. She is a senior research scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and I did not know that you're now the deputy manager for planetary science at that esteemed facility. She is one of the world's foremost authorities on volcanoes. She uh, made it into the Guinness Book of World Records because she, uh, at that point, and I'm guessing probably still, still, still holds the record for the individual who has discovered more volcanoes than any other human being. We won't speak for other species. Uh, and she found 71 of them, active volcanoes on Io. 
And since she doesn't have the ability yet to wander around those fumaroles, uh, she spends a lot of time doing exactly that on Earth. In fact, she has literally written the guide to anybody who loves volcanoes or for anyone who wants to uh, trek around our planet as she has and uh, learn about them and uh, wonder at them. And this is quite a beautiful book. I recommend it very highly. The book is The Volcano Adventure Guide. We have a copy of that. I have a copy of this one at home, Alien Volcanoes, uh, which he did with Michael Carroll, a recent uh, past guest on the radio program, one of the uh, greatest space artists uh, alive today, but a writer as well. What else did I want to say about you? Another thing that I didn't know, Rosalie now chairs the Outer Planets Task Group of the International Astronomical Union, right. the international group that decides a lot of things in astronomy, including what things are going to be called, which is part of your job now, right? That's right. Well, it's, I do it as a volunteer. Uh, in fact, I seem to do a lot of volunteer work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this uh, group uh, is an international group of scientists that uh, uh, decides on the uh, naming of features on uh, the outer planets. And uh, I'm also part of the nomenclature group for the whole solar system. You're the chair, aren't you? Uh, well, I'm chair for the outer planets ah, uh, okay. task group. So we do names and designations of rings and uh, uh, geologic features on uh, uh, satellites and, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's not only about deciding on names, it's also deciding about the type of feature and making it consistent across bodies, which is not always easy. Just a couple of other accomplishments of hers to mention, because they really are very impressive. The NASA Exceptional Service Medal, which you were awarded in 2007. And then, of course, the one that's uh, near and dear to our hearts at the Planetary Society, the Carl Sagan Medal from the American Astronomical Society. I, I want to add as well that you actually are the girl from Ipanema. That's right. <laughs> I can't get away from that one. <laughs> you were born very yes. close to there? Uh, yes, I was uh, born very close to Ipanema, and I spent uh, all my childhood and teenage years in Ipanema, actually pretty close to the beach. And uh, I used to go to the beach once every, well, once or twice every weekend, and sometimes during the week if I didn't have too much work. Well, lucky for us, you started becoming more interested in other things farther inland, the volcanoes. That's right. Well, not always inland, but in the middle yeah. of the ocean, and too. And funnily enough, Brazil doesn't have any volcanoes. Is that right? Yes. Uh, oh. Well, not active ones. It has some very old ones. Uh, and uh, my, uh, I was always interested in geology, but I really wanted to study astronomy. I wanted to be involved in space exploration. That was my thing. And uh, I did a degree in astronomy, in fact, at University College London in England. And uh, I took this class in planetary geology in my final year. And uh, one day the professor didn't show up. And uh, he sent a substitute, a young guy, who said, um, well, you know, the professor is a volcanologist and Mount Etna erupted and he just had to pack his bags and go. And I thought, that sounds really exciting. By that time, I was kind of tired of, you know, freezing, you know, in the cold at <laughs> observatories, and, uh, and I thought volcanoes sounded really great. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to call you the geologist from Ipanema, not the girl from Ipanema. Uh, right, yeah. And, uh, so I sort of went from astronomy to geology, and, um, you know, caught somewhere in between. Uh, 
my uh, uh, colleagues when I was doing my PhD, they uh, joked that because I came with a astronomy and physics background that uh, I didn't actually recognize what various rocks were, you know. <laughs> how many, do you have any idea how many active volcanoes on this planet you've visited? Oh, oh, it's, um, I, I used to count, and uh, I think I have lost count now, but um, uh, probably between 50 and 60 mm-hmm. uh, all over the world. And I'm sure some of them more than once. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, Hawaii, I don't even know how many times I have been to Kilauea. But that's an easy trip from Los Angeles. <laughs> but when you started, when you became interested in volcanoes, at that point we hadn't found any anywhere else, had we? At least active volcanoes. Uh, no, but uh, when I was doing my PhD, Voyager spacecraft flew by Io. And, uh, that's, and I remember when the volcanoes were discovered on Io, and uh, we were really puzzled because Io is a small moon, about the same size as the Earth's moon. And um, how come uh, this moon was still active and still had active volcanoes? And uh, uh, in fact, um, uh, the answer was already there. But um, uh, in those days, the uh, uh, issues of Science magazine uh, came through the mail. And I don't think we had even received uh, that issue yet at uh, our library. But in fact, some theoreticians, uh, Stan Peel and colleagues, had figured out that Io is in this peculiar orbit around Jupiter, and the uh, combination of the gravitational forces, Jupiter kind of pulling Io on one side, and uh, uh, the other Galilean satellites uh, pulling the crust the other side, uh, had um, created friction that kept the interior molten. And uh, uh, they actually said in this paper that uh, 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 volcanism might be taking place on Io. Hmm. And uh, that was about two weeks before the Voyager flyby. So wow. it was a, Good timing. A, a, a absolutely great timing. I think it's the best timed paper ever. <laughs> well, since then, this has become a very active uh, part of the study of in, in planetary geology that you're one of the leaders of, obviously. Uh, right. And uh, when I was doing my PhD, I was doing it on volcanoes on Mars and uh, comparing them with volcanoes on Earth and the, how lava flows uh, actually moved. And, uh, uh, and then these volcanoes on Iowa were discovered. And I thought, wow, I wish this could be part of my PhD. In fact, when I came to JPL, that's when I had the opportunity to uh, work on Io. Have we found active volcanoes of the kind, the sort that we know on Earth, anywhere else in our solar system? Well, uh, we know that volcanoes on Venus uh, have been active in, quote, geologic recent times. And this could be uh, several hundred thousands of years. That's recent um, for a geologist. It's recent for a geology, yes. It's a, you know, it's a good thing being a geologist because you, you never worry about getting old, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, uh, so there, there are some indications that uh, volcanoes on Venus may still have uh, some activity but not at the same level or uh, as frequent as uh, I or in fact uh, nothing has been detected that we can absolutely pinpoint. And then uh, we have activity, but of a different type, on uh, uh, icy moons, like Enceladus. So Enceladus has these plumes that are volcanic, but that's a case of cryovolcanism, which is different, different beast. 
which you've been studying. Yes, I've been studying uh, mostly uh, the volcanic, well, the features on Titan, uh, another of Saturn's moons, that um, uh, we think are cryovolcanic. And uh, there is um, some debate whether these features are indeed volcanic or not. And uh, that's uh, one of the uh, research studies I'm pursuing, is you know, trying to, to figure out if they are volcanic or not. But you mentioned Enceladus, and I think there may be one or two other places where we do see these cryovolcanoes. H how are they different from the kinds of volcanoes that we see on Io or here on our planet? Well, Other Earth, than being cold. Right. On Earth and Io and uh, um, what happened in the past, the Venus, uh, uh, Mercury, Mars, uh, these volcanoes spew out hot uh, rock, essentially molten rock, magma. Magma is molten rock when it's under the crust, and uh, when it comes to the surface, it becomes lava. That's just a nomenclature uh, term. The magma... Uh, on the terrestrial planets is molten rock. When you go to the icy satellites of uh, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, a place like Enceladus, uh, what's happening is that you have an icy crust and uh, you have a, a liquid water under this icy crust. And if this water comes out on the surface, that volcanism is what we call cryovolcanism. Uh, but it's just, again, it's a matter of definition. The process is very similar. You have material from the interior coming out on the surface, but instead of being molten rock, uh, the magma on those bodies is actually uh, water and water mixtures. But the principle is basically the same. Yeah, and in fact, they can produce, produce similar features in terms of shape and morphology uh, than the, uh, as the... Uh, volcanoes on Earth uh, produce. I just saw an animation, actually a, a film. There was a volcano called Tavashtar. Do I have oh, that Chivastar. right? Oh, Tavashtar. That's on Ayo, yes. And this uh, was shooting up 50 kilometers? Or? Yes. Uh, in fact, the uh, uh, several spacecraft observed this plume, uh, Chivastar. Uh, not Voyager. It wasn't active when Voyager flew by. But with Galileo, that's when we first saw an eruption on Tavashtar in 1999, and it was a, 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 a very powerful eruption. There was this huge plume, and when the New Horizons spacecraft uh, got there, uh, the plume was uh, uh, still erupting, and that was in uh, 2007, uh, if I remember correctly. I think you're right, yeah. yeah. Uh, this uh, plume, which uh, started erupting in the uh, 1999, although we're sure that um, it actually had been active, that region had been active before, but it actually formed this huge new red ring, red because of sulfur deposits mm -hmm. from the plume on Io. So uh, it kind of changed uh, the face of Io. And uh, I, I say that Io is a volcanologist's paradise, but a cartographer's nightmare, <laughs> because it, it's always changing. You know, you make a map and, uh, hey, sorry. <laughs> well, I guess a cart an Io cartographer never loses his job, That's because right, it's got to yes. be revised all the time. <laughs> yeah. To come back, though, to the cryovolcanoes, yeah. like on Enceladus, which we're still learning about, and we've seen these coming out of these, these features called tiger stripes. Yes, the tiger stripes uh, are fractures, and uh, at various points uh, within these fractures, this uh, material uh, is coming out, uh, mostly water vapor, but also with organics and other constituents. And uh, uh, 
uh, we're still uh, understanding why it's only in the South Pole of Enceladus uh, that this material is coming out. Uh, and, uh, and Cassini is still uh, observing the uh, plumes and, uh, um, uh, and also uh, uh, detecting areas of high temperatures uh, within and around the tiger stripes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there is still a lot more to be done. And with luck, uh, our mission is going to keep going until 2017. Yes, it's the Cassini Solstice mission now. That's right, yes. Uh, because uh, it has been at Saturn now long enough to actually, well, it will have gone through an entire cycle of, uh, of, this, of Saturn circling the sun. We went through equinox in 2009, and uh, you know, now we are coming up um, uh, a few years from now uh, to the sol- solstice. And um, uh, that's very interesting because the, 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 the seasonal changes that we can observe uh, not only uh, on Saturn but also on Titan, which is the moon I've been studying the most uh, mm. recently. We have lakes on Titan of liquid methane, and we want to see if these lakes change, if uh, the methane evaporates in the summer, uh, if the, the lakes were larger in the winter than they would be in the summer, and, and so on. It's a lot that we can learn about Titan's, uh, shall we say, meteorology and the cycle of methane on Titan, which is um, similar to the uh, water cycle on Earth. In fact, that's exactly what I was going to ask you about. Doesn't all of this activity make Titan more like Earth in many ways than any other body in the solar system? I think so. Um, Some of my colleagues say, no, Mars is the most Earth-like, but I think Titan is. It's very cold on Titan, uh, so cold that methane can exist in a liquid form. Uh, Methane on Titan is at what we call the triple point, Water on Earth is at the triple point. It can exist as liquid, gas, uh, or solid. And uh, on Titan, methane is at the triple point. Uh, So you have methane rain and lakes of methane and absolutely fascinating things. But uh, you have atmosphere, uh, you have wind, you have dunes, uh, like you have in the Sahara on Earth. But Mm. we have these big dunes on Titan. think, or some of us think, that you have volcanoes. So all the major geologic processes that you actually see on Earth, erosion, uh, volcanism, tectonism, impact cratering, you have them all on Titan. More from volcano scientist and author Rosalie Lopez in a minute. This is Planetary Radio. Bill Nye the Science Guy here. The next Mars rover, Curiosity, is about to land on Mars. You can join the celebration. Planet Fest 2012 is Saturday and Sunday, August 4th and 5th at the Pasadena Center in California. I'll be there with dozens of special guests, spacecraft displays, a space art show, great activities for kids, Planetary Radio Live, and the landing on Sunday night. Kids 8 and under are free. You can learn more at planetfest.org. It's a Planet Fest. I'll see you there. Hi, this is Emily Lakdawalla of the Planetary Society. We've spent the last year creating an informative, exciting, and beautiful new website. Your Place in Space is now open for business. You'll find a whole new look with lots of images, great stories, my popular blog, and new blogs from my colleagues and expert guests. And as the world becomes more social, we are too, giving you the opportunity to join in through Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and much more. It's all at planetary.org. I hope you'll check it out. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan. 
I'm grateful to the SETI Institute for inviting me to talk with an old friend at SETICon. Rosalie Lopez is a senior research scientist and the deputy manager for planetary science at JPL. Her books for lay people about volcanoes on Earth and elsewhere in the solar system are terrific. She joined me in a SETICon fireside chat that you can hear more of at planetary.org slash radio. I have a question about the red planet Mars. Is there any chance that there is still active volcanism on that planet, or have they all been dead for a very long time? We have not seen any surface changes, uh, so uh, I doubt that uh, you know there is any volcanism sort of going on at least large-scale volcanism. It's probably been dead uh, for quite some time. Uh, but what I'm hoping is that we might still find some fumaroles mm. somewhere or some um, places where uh, degassing uh, may still be happening, and that would be really interesting. Also, I'm very wary of saying that a, a volcano is dead, totally dead, because um, uh, you know, on Earth uh, it can certainly have volcanoes that have been dead uh, a long time. Uh, longer than living history, and they can come to life again. Mm. Did we get any uh, anybody who'd like to uh, throw a question out to Rosalie? Hi, right here. I've heard that um, plate tectonics and volcanoes are required for life form, or it's one of the thoughts that that's why we have life here. Is it possible that there's life on these other planets with volcanoes? Uh, yes, in fact, uh, one of the places where we want to look for life is Europa. And uh, the reason is Europa is one of these icy um, satellites that has an icy crust and then an ocean of liquid water underneath. And Europa suffers from the same uh, tidal forces that Io does. And we think that uh, uh, there are volcanoes on Europa, but under the, uh, that icy crust or in the ocean. And, uh, and these places where there is heat from volcanism and water are primary places to look for life. So that's why we are so interested in uh, going to Europa. Uh, so uh, yes, you know, volcanoes provide the heat uh, that um, uh, we need for life as we know it. And uh, if you have heat uh, and you have water, those are two of the key ingredients that um, you need. Great question. Have you been involved at all with the research into the, the so-called black smokers here on Earth, where these incredible uh, bi bi biological communities have been found? Uh, unfortunately not. Mm. <laughs> Just, I, I can't do everything. <laughs> but, um, oh, no, you, you've uh, come I, close. I uh, actually would love to go on a dive to see um, uh, one of these uh, uh, black smokers and uh, uh, one of these places where really um, are so teeming with life mm. uh, is incredible. Uh, the discovery of the um, uh, underwater hot water vents, um, uh, I, I think, has been one of the most phenomenal uh, in the recent decades. And it really uh, changed what we knew about life and where life could exist. Uh, I, I think before that, you know, people didn't think that life could exist uh, at, uh, so deep in the ocean and uh, with no light. And possibly where it originated as well. Right. You know, it's, uh, uh, maybe that's the place of the origin of life. I, mm. I know Carl Sagan said so on mm. uh, occasion. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's an absolutely fascinating area of study. 
Other questions? Hi. Uh, I think that, um, uh, well, the, the key places, uh, uh, Mars, Europa, and Enceladus, and uh, no one can really say what the order might be. Uh, I think that um, uh, Mars is certainly easier to explore, it's closer to us, we've gone there before, landed, and so on. Uh, I think that, you know, Europa is uh, really a place that we should explore uh, because uh, there is a... Uh, th this combination of uh, liquid water and volcanic heat uh, is, is quite key in the possible origin for life. Um, so I think the, the exploration of Europa is really important. And Enceladus, uh, well, the uh, uh, plumes on Enceladus were only discovered fairly recently with Cassini. Uh, so we're still thinking about how to go back there and uh, how to sample, but... Um, uh, that's again another uh, key place. Uh, so I'll pick, you know, these three, and uh, and if I could, I'd go to all of them, send spacecraft to all of them. That's a great lead into a question I was going to finish with, but I'll ask right. it now. Um, if the NASA administrator came to you and said, Rosalie, I got two or three spare billions in dollars sticking around, uh, hanging around, where should we send a mission? Well, uh, you know, that, uh, that depends who you ask, but in... My, I'm asking you. Yeah, okay, my personal opinion, we should send uh, a mission to Europa. Uh, and, in fact, we have done some studies. Well, I wasn't personally involved in them, but, um, you know, I know that uh, there have been some studies for a, a cheaper uh, Europa uh, mission that, um, uh, in fact, would fulfill a lot of the science objectives of the mission that was originally studied, the Europa Orbiter, but with a cheaper price tag, so mm. about a couple billion. So uh, that's where I would send a mission. An orbiter or a lander? Uh, well, uh, actually, with a couple billion, you can't really do uh, <laughs> those options. It's, it's more a, a, a Jupiter, uh, Jupiter orbiter that has uh, multiple flybys, uh, but, um, you know, an Europa lander would be just absolutely fantastic. Uh, so, you know, if we had a, a few more spare billion, maybe a couple more, uh, that's, uh, that's the one I would choose. And, right you know, if we really, people. yeah, and if we really had uh, the money and uh, the technology, I think an Europa, uh, some kind of spacecraft that could melt its way through the icy crust, and actually going to the ocean, uh, that's, uh, that, that's still at the moment mm, a yeah, little science fiction, but it's going to happen. It's a great dream. Yeah, and, uh, and that would be fantastic to actually be able to uh, explore uh, that ocean or uh, these uh, pockets of liquid that may exist at much shallower levels in the crust. Um, my colleague, um, uh, Brittany Smith, Mm. has actually published a paper recently on uh, the possible existence of uh, the shallower reservoirs. So, um, you know, it may not be so difficult to get at the liquid on Europa as we first thought. We might not have to go all the way down yeah, to the ocean. Yeah, there may right. be a pocket, a liquid pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm yeah. still trying to get a handle on these cryovolcanoes. We have, uh, you know, frozen liquid over liquid, liquid no frozen ice over water here on Earth. 
Um, and when we get fractures in the frozen part, the liquid doesn't create the kind of plumes that Matt was talking about. Uh, right. So what's different on Enceladus? Is it pressure? Is it temperature? The density of the two media that, you know, create a pressure? Yes, there, there, there are a lot of things that are different, and, uh, you know, pressure, temperature. I mean, we don't have an atmosphere on Enceladus, uh, so the, it's a vacuum, so the, the, these plumes can just, uh, just expand, uh, in fact, at high velocities. Uh, but you actually put your finger on a very important question on cryovolcanism, is we all know ice cubes float. Uh, so what is it that actually enables... Uh, this uh, liquid water uh, to uh, go through an icy crust. And, uh, uh, you know, what uh, is uh, changing that density difference? And uh, people have evoked several methods, um, and uh, I think we're inching towards the answer, but if you have um, uh, something like uh, uh, ammonia uh, uh, dissolved in the water, that can lower the density. Uh, uh, If you have some... uh, uh, high pressure underneath, you know, some uh, crevasses that um, uh, allow the, the liquid to come up at uh, higher pressures than the, that can come out. But it, it's still uh, one of the, uh, let's say, challenging areas. And uh, again, if we hadn't seen a plumes like on Enceladus, uh, we might think, hey, that's really hard to make. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, just like the volcanism on Io, uh, you know, no one would have really thought it was possible until uh, Stampil and colleagues came up with this uh, physical mechanism. But um, you know, if, if, if for those of us who hadn't read the paper yet, you know, when Io has active volcanoes, but that's not possible. <laughs> so. It's nice that the solar system can still surprise us. Yeah, well, and that's the great thing about studying uh, other bodies is that um, you're constantly learning because things that you didn't think were possible, uh, actually you realize are possible. It's just the uh, circumstances are different and there are factors that you hadn't thought about before. I've let us go a little bit long since we got a late start, but we probably should wrap up. Is there another question from the audience before... uh I throw one last one at Rosalie. Okay, the last one would be, you've been in this field for a good long while now. You still seem to be as excited, as passionate about this work, this study, uh, as uh, you must have been when you were first exposed to it uh, by that, uh, by that uh, experience in college. Uh, yeah, I think I'm actually more excited now hmm. because I have seen... Uh, so much more. I, you know, been there when uh, we were um, uh, observing uh, uh, Jupiter and the Galilean satellites with Galileo, with the Galileo spacecraft. You know, I um, saw these new volcanoes on Io and had the opportunity to work with spacecraft data. And now with Cassini for uh, several years, and uh, now I'm looking uh, towards the next mission, uh, you know, uh, perhaps the the Juice mission that uh, it's so-called JUICE at the moment, the European-led mission uh, mm. back to Jupiter and, uh, and Ganymede and Europa, uh, and um, just working with spacecraft uh, missions. It's just so fascinating, and, uh, and I see more and more new things that, um, that come up. Uh, so it's, uh, it's really been a, a fantastic career so far, and uh, 
I'm not thinking of retiring anytime. <laughs> Good. <laughs> as long as I have money to keep going, I'll, I'll keep going. Well, again, write your Congress people. Yeah. Basic research. Uh, there is one other book I want to hold up because this one is also a lot of fun. I, I, this is the one. I think I told you wrong. I have the Adventure Guide. You, you have the home, Adventure Guide, yes. Which is great fun. And but here is, you know, you want to be a tourist uh, and explore volcanoes on Earth. Here is Rosalie Lopez's Volcanoes, the Beginner's Guide. Uh, all are still available, as far as I know. Yes, yes. And in fact, Alien Volcanoes, uh, I'm donating to the auction uh, because that's a book I wrote with an artist, Michael Carroll. And uh, Arthur C. Clarke wrote our forward. We were very proud of that. And uh, in fact, that might have been his last published work. Are you willing to say anything about the book you're working on now, which you just told me about? Oh, yes. I'm working on another book with Michael Carroll. We are editing a book called um, uh, Alien Seas. And uh, this is going to be about, quote, seas uh, on other planets. And several colleagues of ours are writing chapters. So seas of sand, uh, that is the seas of sand dunes, uh, like on Titan, um, seas of lava, uh, these um, uh, seas of uh, liquid water under icy crusts. So uh, a lot of different, uh, quote, seas uh, and the uh, other planets. Uh, so we're having great fun as well, and, and Michael does uh, absolutely spectacular uh, paintings and uh, illustrations. In fact, he just won an award also for his writing uh, from the Division for Planetary Sciences of the American Astronomical Society. So we really have had a, a great partnership, which I'm going to talk more about in the panel this afternoon. Great. So you can catch her in one of the main rooms later today, after lunch, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rosalie, it has been a pleasure. It always is. And I do have yeah. to apologize. We were doing a live version of our show at a radio station uh, down in Southern California. And we always end that with a space trivia contest. And we had a question about volcanoes on, I think it was about volcanoes on Io. And Rosalie was in the audience, and she started going, ooh, 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 ooh. We said, no, no, really, we really, you're disqualified. I'm, I'm sorry. So I apologize. But That's all right. We'll still give you it a t It was a joke. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us today with Dr. Rosalie Lopez. Thank you. We're at Planetary Society Headquarters with Bruce Betts, the Director of Projects for the Planetary Society, and we're ready for what's up. A uh, good reaction to our contest. We're going to give away that Fisher Space Pen. Here it is. And there it is, right there. there. It is. It's so shiny. And it is engraved, <laughs> Planetary Radio, the Planetary Society, but we'll get to that. First, let's talk about the night sky, shall we, in a sense of tradition. So in the evening sky, uh, still got Mars over to the right of Saturn, Saturn hanging out with Spica. Uh, in the pre-dawn sky, super bright Jupiter above even brighter Venus, which is still near Taurus's bright star, Aldebaran. Uh, also, good thing to check out the sometimes loosely called summer triangle in the evening sky. Three very bright stars form a very 
loose triangle over in the east in the early evening or high overhead by the, the mid-evening, and that's uh, Vega, Altair, and Deneb. It was a slow week in space history. We had the uh, Apollo 11 landing of humans on the moon. Uh, that's we a all... slow week? <laughs> well, it was sarcasm. It yeah, was a little joke. Just, just I do that. It wasn't a very funny joke. In 1975, that was 69, of course, 75, uh, also this week, Apollo-Soyuz docking in orbit. And much, much more, because truly it was not a slow week in space history. But we will move on, and and you've got something special for, for what's coming next, don't you? I sure do. It's another celebrity space fact, and this guy provides his own fact. Hey, guys, it's Andre Bormanis. Here is your random celebrity space fact. If the Earth were to be shrunk down to the size of a golf ball, it would be a black hole. The surface gravity would be so high that the escape velocity would exceed the speed of light. Wow. That's cool. That's a, that's a heavy golf ball. For anybody who's wondering, that's our friend Andre Bermanis, friend of the Society, the science advisor to Star Trek, later writer and producer for Star Trek, and he's been uh, part of uh, many other uh, really fun TV shows. He has, and, and uh, Andre and I go, go way back to previous incarnations of our work lives. I didn't know that. A story for another time, perhaps. Yes, yeah, please. We move on to the trivia contest. And did, did you want to share the... When would you like to share... Um, oh, I was going to get to that last, but uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. A little about. information about a previous contest. I'd ask for help from... From, from the world of uh, our listeners, and we got it. Yeah, you did. We got a response from Nicola Masbar, who is a native Arabic speaker. Everyone remember what we pronounced as Alioth? Well, according to Nicola, uh, it's really either Al-Iliato or Al-Ilya, which indeed means the fat tail of a sheep. So it really does. That, that's what we'd asked for, was confirmation. Yeah, Nicola points out that, you know, sheep are such a valuable resource for desert-dwelling people that there's like a word for every tiny part of a sheep. And this refers to that little fat, fatty part of the tail that's right at the rump of the sheep. I don't think rump is an Arabic word. but uh, No, but you just said it on air. <laughs> Rump. I said rump. Hey, stop. <laughs> uh, but, but Nicola says that it probably, because bears probably have the same kind of little thick, you know, fatty base of the tail. Not that I would say that to I a see. bear. So it's a part of, of all sheep's tails as opposed to sheep's, <laughs> sheeps that have, sheep that have particularly fat tails. Apparently so. I see. So thank well, you makes very much. so much more sense. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. All right, we move on, and uh, we asked you, approximately how many times has the sun gone around the galactic center since it began nuclear fusion? How old is it in galactic years? How'd we do, man? It's good that you said approximate, because we did get many, we got a lot of approximations. And some people even said, God, it's somewhere between 18 and 25. But they seem to center around the number that we got from Corey Chapman of Ogden, Utah. He's a former winner, I believe. And we're going to be sending him. He will be the first recipient of our Fisher Space Pen. Here it is. And dun, dun, dun. Oh, click it again. Click Here we go. Again. Click it again. Planetary Very Radio, exciting. the Planetary Society. Corey, we're going to send it out to you because he said the sun has completed about 20 orbits around the galactic center since its birth, since the birth of the sun. Uh, so you had specified since the beginning of thermonuclear fusion. 
It is approximate because there's a fair amount of slop in the galactic year, the time it takes to go around the center. It's between 225 and 250 million years for one one loop around the sun. As we so commonly do, we got to mention a couple of other responses. I'm sorry, I misspoke. One loop around the galactic center. One loop around the sun. (laughs) One loop of the sun around the galactic center. Just got that. Uh, Ben Owens, he said that uh, he really the sun could have completed twice as many laps by now if it had opted to swim in the fast lane. (laughs) But here's my favorite of the ones that we got from Jamie Cox, who said that he figured out that the dinosaurs basically were around. They were ruling the Earth when our solar system was on the other side of the galaxy. And so he was amazed to realize from that dinosaurs are from the Delta Quadrant. (laughs) (laughs) can't get can't get enough star trek references can you never 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 (laughs) andre would be so proud all right we move on to our uh, our next trivia contest and and periodically i like people to just think about who's up in space because uh it it's almost almost or at least feels routine even though it's not for these people on the international space station as of the time we're recording it this there are three people on the international space station and three people headed there give me the names of all of them and uh, i can make that a little crisper who comprises international space station expedition 32 go to planetary.org radio find out how to enter you have until the 23rd july 23 at 2 p.m pacific time to get us that answer and we're done All right, everybody, go out there, look out in the night sky. And yes, that's right. Think about the fat tail of a sheep. (laughs) Thank you, and good night. I can't stop thinking about it. Now, by the way, the winner of this new contest will also get the Fisher Space Pen from me and Bruce Betts, the director of projects at the Planetary Society, here on What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and made possible by a grant from the Kenneth T. and Eileen L. Norris Foundation and by the members of the Planetary Society. Clear skies. Clear skies.